All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 774 points, or 2.3%. The S&P 500 last week was up a little over 106 points, or 2.4%. And the NASDAQ last week was up 453 points, or 3.3%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 4.1%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 17.3%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 34.8%. Only up 34.8 for the NASDAQ. Just a regular yeah. year. Nothing to see here. Now, it's been three weeks since I was on the last on the last radio show. And I've missed you guys. I was about to say, how was your vacation? Uh, which one? <laughs> That's right. Well, and of course, we're missing Joe because he's taking a little time off because the month of June and the you know first half of July is one of his toughest times of the year being the director of our corporate retirement plan. So he was been absolutely swamped and killing it at the office. So he's taking a little time off this weekend. So we'll miss Joe. Go ahead, Joe. So I spent a little time in Central Texas a few weeks ago with an early anniversary trip with uh, – with my wife and did a little shopping and a little sightseeing. It was nice. And then uh, last weekend I was up in the heartland of America, the land of miles and miles of corn and soybeans for uh, my wife's niece's uh, wedding. It was in uh, northwestern Missouri, a beautiful wedding. Congrats to Casey and Chris. Uh, nice time. Got to see your mom and uh, all the family in Iowa. <clears throat> and a lot of MAGA hats. I didn't see that many MAGA hats, <laughs> uh, but I saw a, I saw 200 and some odd miles of, of, of uh, corn and soybeans between Trainer, Iowa, and Maryville, Missouri, which is where we were for the uh, wedding. Uh, never been to that part of the country. Beautiful country. They got plenty of rain there, 
And I think the first night uh, it was like 65 degrees. Wow. Got to my mother-in-law's house. I don't think it, I don't even think it broke 90 the entire time we were there. So that would be the place to be this summer, uh, ladies and gentlemen, rather than here in this extreme heat of, of South Texas. But I still love yeah. South Texas too. As I say, welcome to South Texas. Welcome back. So well, while, while, while I've been gone, the markets have just, just kept on chugging along. Uh, I don't know how many hundreds of points or per percent were up. In those last uh, three weeks since I was last on the show, but as I was, uh, you know, had a prospect meeting uh, this this morning Friday uh, with a prospective client, and I was making the comment: if you had told me at the beginning of the year that we would be, you know, up seventeen percent on the S and P, and that's without dividends, so it's closer to eighteen, a little over eighteen with dividends for the S and P after six and a six and a half months. Uh, I said that's crazy. I said no well, way. So I was going to ask you, Jeff. I, I was going to ask you because my beginning of be, the beginning of the year prediction for the S and P five hundred, I was in and around the sixteen percent range, and even at the time, I felt my call was a little bit out there. But I thought we definitely had the potential. Well, it's already surpassed that. Now, granted, we're not to the end of the year. But with the way everything is lining up with the S&P with dividends, you know, without dividends being up 17.3%, it's already surpassed my prediction at the beginning of the year. So the question is why? Given statistics that have held true for predictions of a recession for more than 50 years, you know, successive negative leading economic indicator numbers, uh, the inversion of the yield curve and the extent to which it's been inverted. These two indicators by themselves uh, would have indicated that the recession uh, should be upon us, but yet that is not the case. Uh, I, I had this article. I know we don't have a lot of time left in this segment. I'll, I'm going to go over it in the next segment. I'll kind of give you a preview of coming attractions. But basically what this article says is that because of the, the distortions that were created in the pandemic and the early post-pandemic uh, recovery period, you know, we're talking 2020, late 2020 into 2021, that that money has just distorted these indicators and that, Maybe these indicators cannot be relied upon to accurately predict a, a coming recession. Now, are we speaking? Are we speaking of like the leading economic indicators, like those, those that type of data, or the inverted? Well, I mean, we all know inverted yield curve, but all recessions start with inverted yield curve. But not all inverted yield curves lead to a recession. Right. But the leading ec economic indicators, you, you've said on previous shows, Jeff, this would be, if we don't go into recession, this would pretty much be the first time in history we've had this many months of negative leading economic indicators and not go into a recession. Right. Well, it would be, and I think I'd said that Unprecedented. Several, se several negative leading economic indicator uh, announcements ago, several months ago. We, yeah. We're going to get another leading economic indicator um, next week which is also predicted to be negative, and I think that'll be like 13 or 14 in a row. I think it'll be number 15, actually, Jeff, yeah. if it's negative. Could be. It'll be like 15. It's more than a dozen. It's oh, yeah, more, absolutely. It, it, be, it would be more than unprecedented in the history of, of 
these statistics to not have some sort of recession, uh, even just you know just have it, have it be indicated by just the fact that we've had this many negative leading economic indicator statistics. But what's happening now is they keep pushing out the prediction of, the, of, of when the recession begins, uh, and and us included, to be quite frank. Uh, you know, we've we've been surprised about uh, with how 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 far we've gotten down this road and how much the market has recovered, even though we still haven't had 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 this recession. So when we come back, I'll talk a little bit more about this article. Okay, we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, Jeff, before we went to break, you were talking about an article that came out a few days ago from Reuters. And the title of the article is, the title of the article is The Elusive U.S. Recession and Its Misleading Indicators. Now, we have had conversations on the Money Wise program really all year because we were all kind of in the same camp that we feel that we eventually will get to a recession, although I think we all agree it would be a very mild recession because we have had such resiliency in the employment picture. Uh, and now as the inflation data is coming through and as we've even got a, a revision, an upward revision, of first quarter GDP, or excuse me, first reading of fourth quarter, second quarter GDP, uh, it looks like the recession could be pushed out to 2024. But I'm a, I have a feeling that this that this article might be stating that maybe we're, we're the, the Fed is actually going to bring the plane in for a soft landing this time, although their track record's not really that good. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Let's we'll dive see. in. We'll see. So I may read just kind of this article verbatim. So for our listeners, just give me a give me a little latitude here. The the long the longer the heavily touted US recession fails to materialize, the more doubt is cast over the relevance and usefulness of leading economic indicators that have accurately predicted every downturn for decades. Uh, we've had statistics here of late talking about the economy growing faster than expected in the first quarter this year. Unemployment continues to be ultra low. Job growth continues to remain solid. And inflation is decelerating fast. Now, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the decelerating fast part, but it is decelerating. Recession calls are getting pushed back. Yes, they are. Early next year is the latest new dawn, and the, quote, soft landing, end quote, narrative is regaining traction. This is true. Every time uh, we, we start to see the market start to suffer 
and we start to see stock prices decline, or maybe we see a, uh, a rapid increase in interest rates, the soft landing talk goes away, and, they, and then the talk comes back about a more moderate recession, or you know some of the outliers start talking about a hard hard landing recession. And he, but here of late, when we've had this this big move in the market, what do we start hearing again? We start hearing about the the soft landing narrative. Now, Fed, the Federal Reserve Chairman Powell believes avoiding recession is more likely than not, which would be remarkable after the central bank's most aggressive interest rate hiking campaign in 40 years. Now, I remember he said that, I think, during the last uh, uh, press conference. Now, it's impossible that this time really is different. Now, how many times have we heard that? That these, that these indicators though they have been pretty accurate, highly accurate, of predicting recessions in the past, but this time may be different. But it's well, 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 I'll just to interrupt you in the article real quick, but, I mean, how many times has the Fed truly been successful at bringing the economy, inflation, everything in for a soft landing? I mean, they do not have a strong batting average historically, of bringing the economy in for that soft landing. Well, so, you have to define what a soft landing is, because a soft landing for, for for stockholders, soft landing for bondholders, uh, stock, a soft landing for balanced portfolios. You know, Maybe it's not exactly it? about the stock market. Maybe it's about being able to bring inflation down without causing massive spikes in the unemployment numbers. You know, maybe that is what, maybe that's what they consider a soft landing is bringing inflation back to their mandate without causing that big spike in unemployment. Maybe that's how the Fed views it. Cause I don't think the Fed, I don't feel the Fed is making any decision based on what the stock market is doing at all. You know, they're looking at their two mandates and they're trying to adhere to both. But as we've talked about on this program, Jeff, they're willing to sacrifice one of their mandates, full employment. For their other well, mandate, that's price stability. Let me let me just make a comment about you don't think the Federal Reserve is making decisions based on what's going on in the stock market. That may be true of this current Fed, but that isn't true of all Federal Reserves. Because I certainly remember a, one Alan Greenspan talking about irrational exuberance in the stock market uh, in the in the nineteen ninety four. Yeah, that's back in ninety four. But I mean, uh, that you got to go way have, back. Only to have the markets become even more irrationally exuberant. Exuberant in, in the years following when he first said that. But um, that was also with a Federal Reserve that was a heck of a lot less communicative as the current Federal Reserve, or really how the Federal Reserve has been going back to Ben Bernanke, because I think that's really when they became more verbal discussing exactly what they were going to do because the classic quote from Alan Greenspan is, is if you know what I'm thinking, I'm speaking too much. That's a famous quote from Alan Greenspan. So as tempting as it might be to buy into the, it's quote, it's possible this time is really different. Leading economic engineers have been flashing red for months, but yet we have not seen the elusive recession. Now these signals include an inverted yield curve, Plunging consumer confidence, which I saw was up on on Friday, Michigan. Uh, weak, weak industrial production and slowing bank credit. Now the conference board rolls ten of these components into the leading economic indicator index. 
The lead time between the LEI, that's the leading economic index, falling from its cycle peak to the start of all but one of the last eight recessions has ranged from nine months in the early 1970s to 22 months, which was right before the great financial crisis in 07. 2007 to 2009. So the average lag time is 14 months. So the lag time now stands at 17 months and counting. In other words, the rece- if the recession doesn't hit by year end, it will mark the longest ever lead time. And so the question is, is this new territory or is the model broken? Well, this could be different because, Jeff, as you know, this was the longest bear market since 1948. So we haven't had a bear market at the length that we've had between 2022 and 23 since 1948. So I don't want to say we're in unprecedented times, but we're also coming from an unprecedented event, and that was a global pandemic, which we haven't had since the early 1900s with the Spanish flu. So maybe this is the time where kind of all these different indicators kind of get tossed out the window because of the extraordinary circumstances that the markets and the world don't typically have to deal with on a decade-by-decade basis. It's been more than 100 years since we've had to deal with a global pandemic. So, you know, things are different. I mean, I hate to say things are different this time. So one of the one of the most reliable recession indicators is the spread between the three month and ten year U.S. bond yield, U.S. Treasury bond yield, otherwise known as an inverted yield curve, where longer dated yields or below short term yields has always preceded a recession, as well as giving a couple of head fakes in 1998-1971. As we said, they've always we've always had inverted yield curves precede a recession, but not every recession began with an inverted yield curve, right? Well, no, it's not all. Yeah, that. it's not it's the reverse. All, all, <laughs> all recessions have Hardly started with an inverted yield curve, but not all inverted yield curves have started a recession. Thank you. The average lead time between inversion and recession going back more than half a century is 11 months. We're currently at nine months, but we're approaching the average, but still well short of the peak length of time, which was 17 months before the great financial crisis. So, again, if the economy isn't in recession by the end of the year, this time it really is different, according to this this writer. Now, the post-pandemic economy is certainly not following the pre-pandemic playbook. Trillions of dollars of fiscal and monetary stimulus, the lockdown and reopening, and inflation pressures sparked by global supply chain disruption and war and the war in Ukraine have distorted all aspects of the economy. Now, this writer says perhaps permanently. Now, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that the economies have been permanently changed by what's happened here in the last few years post-pandemic. Patterns of consumer saving and spending, corporate hiring and firing, and business activity in the last few years were not in pre-pandemic models. It stands to reason their signals were off. Well, that's left to be seen. So, yes, so far we seem to be getting ahead of the average indicator time when these when these indicators should start showing a recession. 
but it, we're not we're not in unprecedented territory yet. But we may be here by the end of the year, and I'll continue on this as we come back from the the next break. Okay, well, we'll continue this after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us at our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, we want to kind of wrap up this article titled, this came out of from Reuters uh, on July the 11th, The Elusive U.S. Recession and Its Misleading Indicators. Um, so I'll, so I'll let you home. take it over. Jeff's bringing it home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it home here. All right. So economists and analysts, as well as your money wise guys, should be cut some slack. How else were they meant to interpret collapses in bank lending, consumer confidence, industrial production, and yield curves consistent with almost every recession in the past 50 years? Milton Friedman's long and variable lags may just be a little longer and a little more variable. When it comes, recession will not be official until the National Bureau of Economic Research calls it, and that could be backdated by some time, as we've had in the past where we learned we had a recession we'd already gotten out of. Gotten out of but it, yeah. Before it's prone to endless revision, you know. It, in that light, some historical perspective is worth noting. In November of 73, the first month of a recession that lasted until March of 75, and Dad talks about this all the time because he had just gotten into the business when this recession started, right? And mm-hmm. then 313,000 new jobs were created during that recession. Non-farm payrolls did not decline for another nine months. And in December of 69, the onset of a year-long recession, the unemployment rate was 3.5%, which is about where we're at right now, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, then and still is one of the lowest on record. Now, of course, employment is a lagging indicator, and and so more likely to send misleading signals. The signals sent by leading indicators recently have been pretty clear. It just remains to be seen whether they will ultimately be accurate. Well, a, a, again, as I said in the last segment, I mean, we all, as a country, as a world, have gone through unprecedented times that this the world has not faced in you know a hundred plus years, going through the global pandemic, which gave rise to all of this stimulus that came from Washington, which at, towards the tail end, particularly when Biden came into the White House, maybe did a round of spending that they shouldn't have done, which just definitely exacerbated inflation, causing, of course, the Fed to raise interest rates as far as they have, as fast as they have. And high, you know, I would say we've got a 9.5 times out of 10 chance that we're going to see an interest rate increase uh, in two weeks when the Federal Reserve meets in late July. Because when you look at the core CPI, which was reported this past week, the core 
CPI is 4.8%. So we're still 2.8% above the Fed's mandate. Now, eventually, all of this stimulus money that has definitely kept a lot of people out of the workforce, I don't know how they're doing it, but they're somehow able to survive on a lot of this stimulus money. But I was, as you know, looking at the M2 money supply report, and guess what? It's actually gone up to $20.81 trillion. So it was coming down, and now it has popped back up ahead of where it was in the month of April. So May's... M2 money supply has been increasing now. So the chart was going straight down. Now it's starting to spike up. So I don't know if that's the consumer keeping some powder dry, maybe delaying or deferring some spending because of the pending fear of a recession. I know we've talked about it, Jeff, on this program at length multiple times. Are we going to see a potential rolling recession that's from an industry to industry specific groups, but when you put all of these specific industries combined to formulate GDP on a quarterly basis, it doesn't actually draw GDP negative. And I wanted to I wanted to correct myself because we saw first quarter 2023 GDP on the last reading actually increased. It was actually revised higher. Now we haven't gotten the first reading of second quarter GDP yet, but so far we're not going to be in a recession because first quarter was positive. Changing the gears here a little a little bit, have you seen how far above the 200-day moving average the S&P 500 is currently? Uh, it's quite a bit. I'm looking at it right now. Almost, so yes. almost 500 points, more than 10% above the 200-day moving average is where the S&P 500 currently sits. I mean, we weren't even that high above the 200-day moving average the last time the S&P 500 was at its all-time high. No. And, and, and the market is overbought. I, I mean, so, I don't think anyone would say that the market is is oversold, that's for sure. It's definitely overbought. Um, but but the, there again, though, Jeff, is the mag- now they've been labeled the Magnificent Seven. You know, there used to be the Nifty 50. Now we have the Magnificent Seven, which are the seven primarily tech stocks that have driven so much of their turn in the S&P 500. And I'll go right back to what we talked about show after show after show, looking at the equally weighted S&P 500 index up 9.4% year to date. So we're starting to see some widening of stocks in the S&P 500. We're starting to see some breadth. In the market, which I think if we continue to spread out that breadth, get value names, small cap names, mid cap names, starting to finally participate in the upward move of the market and the Magnificent Seven not doing as much driving, this can continue to fuel the market higher through the end of the year. How much is the NASDAQ above its 200-day moving average? Well, I have to pull up the chart. It's it's way up there. The answer is 20%. Above its okay. 200-day moving average. There you go. 20%. Those Magnificent Seven, they've definitely done a lot, a lot of the heavy lifting. I mean, you got NVIDIA up north of 200% year-to-date. Okay. Own it. You heard that right. You heard that right, listeners. Over 200%. And we've hit it for profits, what, three times already this year? Uh, at least that's yeah. for, for our listeners. Two hundred a two hundred percent gain is a triple. 
Mm. Stocks tripled this year. Now, it's going to be very interesting when their earnings come out if this is going to be one of these classic sell the news type things. Where okay, so we had some, we got some growth, but is it is the growth or the outlook for growth down the down the you know in the future is that going to justify a triple in the stock right now? I kind of question that. Um, I'm not ready to give up on all on these indicators that have that have worked so well for so long. I I, I think Milton Friedman's right. They they work with long and variable lags. Uh, I'm not. Just because the the marketplace and sentiment today is in the soft landing camp doesn't mean that it can't change in two weeks if the Federal Reserve is a little bit more uh, hawkish than the market expects. And who's to say that next month's CPI numbers don't go back, start going back the other way? That's going to spook the market for sure. So the bottom line, from my point of view, to the listeners, is – this isn't an environment where, where I want to be excessively aggressive in stocks. Now, have we raised our stock allocations through the year here at Davidson Capital Management? The answer is yes. We have been raising our stock allocations. You probably talked on last week's show about the uh, the raise in asset allocations. I, th- I think it was the, the week, one of the Previous weeks that we where we raised our, you know, we're basically 50-50 right now, statistically. Another right. thing that we did this this week was we added to our uh, government bond portfolio and purchased another government bond across the board, uh, took some of the money that we've been had, had in our high-yield money market fund account uh, and, put, and put it in another government bond. What the pattern here seems to be, Kyle, I was looking at a 10-year treasury. That Every time it seems to get up to about 4% yield here in the last couple of years, two, three years, it doesn't stay there very long. It'll stay there for a handful of trading days, and then it comes right back. It the rolls same, over. Same thing seems to be holding true for the two-year uh, treasury. Uh, once it gets over 5% yield, it doesn't stay there very long. It seems to just draw in money. Once it hits that that magic, whatever magical reason to get to five percent, it you know it brings in it, it seems to bring in money, and then the yield comes back down because I saw we went out on a two year like at a four six four point seven percent yield. Just well, it could be the algos. It could be the algos that are that are timed. As soon as you see five five one on the two year buy, you start seeing anything, you know, getting up above the four percent on the ten year. Lock it in, you know, lock it in. So, and and I think, and, and again, as I said earlier, I mean, I think there is an extremely high probability that the Fed will be raising rates this month. They'll be going another 25 basis points or a quarter of 1% because we still have the core CPI at 4.8%. So I think that's in the cards. Now, we have Jackson Hole meeting in August. So, of course, every single word coming out of Jay Powell's mouth will be parsed within an inch of its life. And then the big question would be, will we see something in September? I don't know. But 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 here's the thing, though, Jeff, as I said earlier, yes, we're way overbought. I think we could see a 3 to 5, maybe 3 to 6% corrective move. But I think that corrective move is going to be used for investors who are too light in their equity allocations to push some chips over the buy line and get some more exposure in the stock. 
Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, as I was saying going into our last commercial break, with as overbought as the markets are, you know, we're definitely right for, you know, maybe a, possibly a short-term pullback. But as I was saying going into the break, I think that these pullbacks are going to be used as buying opportunities for, I would say, maybe more bearish Investors, whether it's professional money manager, individual investor, would be used as a buying opportunity because for all intents and purposes, the market is basically at the same level it was April, beginning of April of 2022. So we're still not back to all-time highs. We're about 7, 8, 9% away from the all-time highs that we had the first, second day in January of 2022. And again, getting back to all-time highs isn't the stopping point. You know, we continue to move higher up from there uh, as time goes on, you know, up and to the right as far as the long-term stock chart goes. But we are definitely overbought. But as we've been saying to the program, as the breadth, as more market participants, as more stocks participate in this upside movement, you know, I think this can continue to be the fuel and maybe not so much driven by these magnificent seven stocks that have done majority of the heavy lifting all year so far. Well, I wonder how how much investors are expecting these magnificent seven stocks to beat their numbers. If they merely meet their numbers, is that going to su- support how much these stocks have gone up this year? Uh, or is that going to be uh, motivation for those that have made, you know, us included, a substantial amount of money in a very short period of time uh, you know, I, I don't know how if, if your earnings go up ten percent quarter over quarter that you that you're going to justify a three you know a triple in a stock like Nvidia. You know, I don't know how that can you really justify that? Is this really more just a momentum issue rather than is rather than it being you know fundamentally driven? I think yeah. I mean, for something to triple in six months, you know it's 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 not fundamentally driven. It's momentum driven. So if the momentum starts to change, uh, your 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 correction that you're talking about, Kyle, is very much you know in the cards. I'm looking here at the chart of the S and P 500, remembering back, you know, in February March. What were we worried about in February March? We were worried about uh, banking crisis. Yeah, banking crisis. We had what the three of the large, you know, two here in the U.S. Two of the largest bank failures in history, not the mm-hmm. largest. I think one of them, was, if I remember, it's the second was largest. largest. And and uh, there was there was a lot of uh, uh, hand wringing over, hey, is this 08 get uh, all over again? 
And we saw the S&P go from about 4,200 to 3,800 in a little over a month. You know, more than a 10% decline in in a month. And what happened? We didn't have any follow-on. There was no follow-on. The uh, We get into the earnings season. The earnings weren't as bad as expected. And the momentum changed. And by and by the end of April, we're back to where we were pre-SBB uh, financial failure, right? And now the markets are back to the levels they were April of 2022. Yeah, and, and, and now more months have rolled by. And we've had folks like Jamie Dimon say uh, the worst was over in terms of the banking situation. I think that was Jamie Dimon that said that. Mm -hmm. And it brought some confidence back into the market that we weren't going to have massive bank failures one after the other. And and then the AI craze hits. And it's off to the races. And the Magnificent Seven is off to the races. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't didn't own, you know, half of those stocks – you're probably way behind this year in terms of performance. Um, but I don't. Do I think that uh, a triple is justified in, in a stock like Nvidia? It's way too early to tell. I, I they, don't really they, have, they have they have to live up to their earning guidance because yeah, I was just it, looking. I was just looking at Nvidia's forward price earning multiple based on their forward guide for earnings, and it's less than half. Of their five-year average price earning multiple over a five-year time span. In fact, they're showing the forward, the forward PE for Nvidia at sixty-three. Well, its five-year average is eighty and a half. So, you know, if they live up to their earnings, their earnings guide, or beat their earnings guide, then I think back to your original question: Is it justified? Yeah, I think it could be justified. Well, the momentum may continue until it doesn't. This is true. This is true. But, again, we also could see some pull forward in performance based on something that's going to be occurring in the future. But, again, we're not recommending for anyone that's listening to the show to have all of your money in the Magnificent Seven. You know, as we have a hard and fast rule, no more than 5% of your investable net worth in one individual stock. Now, you can own more than 5% in a mutual fund. You can own more than 5% of your investable net worth in an exchange-traded fund because they're diversified vehicles by their nature. But from an individual stock point, if you've got 10%, 15%, 20% of your portfolio in NVIDIA, yeah, you're, you're whistling, you know, you're whistling all the way to the bank so far year to date. But that one bad earning report comes out. I mean, we, you could see 20, 25, 30% gap down. Now we on own, that very next trade, we own four of the seven, if my memory serves me correctly. Yes, and we do. And the total asset allocation in those four is less than four percent. That is correct. The total. All about diversification. You have to diversify. You cannot. Ju- it's it's like going to Vegas in the roulette table. You know, you're just betting on red fourteen. You know, instead of spreading your bed across, you have to diversify. You have to put, I hate to use the old adage, you have to put your eggs in multiple baskets. And so, again, as we've said on every program, know what you own. Go back, look through your portfolio. If you're owning individual stocks, make sure 
that you don't have more than 5% of your investable net worth in any one individual stock. I don't care how good they're doing. Take the profit. I, I, you know, Jim Cramer, bears make money, bulls make money, hogs get slaughtered. So don't get too hoggish because one miss earnings can lop your head off. So next week is going to be the first big week for earnings. We also have a lot of economic news. we got retail sales, industrial production, housing starts, existing home sales, and leading economic indicators all coming up next week. Okay, so we'll have a very busy show. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break, so we'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call on our office on Monday, you can reach us on our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So now that we're in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, and again, like really wanting to use the second hour for investor education, uh, a topic that we have been discussing for the nine-plus years uh, we've had the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX. I, it's, it's a topic that I wanted to revisit, go into a little bit more detail about. And for any longtime listener of this program, they know uh, our disdain, our distaste, our dislike, or I should say just straight out plain hatred of annuities of any way, shape, or f- any any shape and form. And so... The reason why uh, I've been motivated to, to talk more about this and go into deeper investor education this on this weekend show is just here recently working with some prospective clients have been seeing more equity indexed annuities, which are the most dastardly of all annuity products out there, and wanted to really give the education and pretty much a f- blanket warning to any investor, any listener of this program thinking about getting involved in this type of product to not only get up and walk away, but to get up and run away. And so I want to just go into some education. So let's just start kind of from the very beginning. You know, what is an annuity? An annuity is a contract between you and an insurance company in which the company promises to make periodic payments to you starting immediately or at some future time. So if the payments are delayed, 
That's called a deferred annuity, and if the payments start immediate, it's called an immediate annuity. Bottom line, the definition of annuity is periodic payments. I mean, really, that's what it is. The key word in that statement that you just made, Kyle, is the word promise. Mm -hmm. It is not a guarantee. That's right. Now, there are, for whatever reason, the insurance industry is allowed to use that word. The G word. As part of the marketing pitch. Mm -hmm. When in reality, it is nothing more than a promise. Because as we've said... Uh, since the beginning of this show in 2005, there is only one only guaranteed investment, and that is government, U.S. government bonds, bills, and notes. That's right. That's the only guaranteed investment. Anything else is nothing more than a promise. It's a, and really, it's like you said, Jeff, it's a sales pitch. It's in the sales pitch because that the G word, as we call it, the get word guaranteed, gives the potential buyer, that warm and fuzzy feeling that I'm protected under this, this blanket of cover, this blanket of guarantee, and that's that's not true in the world of annuities. So annuities really come in two types, fixed and variable. Now, a fixed annuity, the insurance company guarantees, quote-unquote, guarantees both the rate of return and the payout. A variable annuity's rate of return is not stable. And it varies with stock, bond, money market funds that you choose as investment options. And there is no guarantee that you will earn any return on your investment, and there is risk that you will lose money in the variable annuity contract. So those are just kind of the two basic, main basic annuities. Now we get over to what is an indexed or equity indexed annuity. The new marketing term that they're using now, Jeff and Dad, is a hybrid annuity which is starting to show up at uh at lunch and dinner seminars across the city a hybrid annuity this the equity indexed annuity product mm-hmm. is on the radio as 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 it's almost as heavily marketed now as gold is I'd probably say in some instances more, Jeff. You know, I don't see, I do not see on television a lot of pitches for equity indexed annuities. But whether it's satellite radio, whether it's terrestrial radio, uh, there are radio shows all across. You know, we, we hear, as we're driving across the state of Texas, there are probably five equity indexed annuity based radio pitch shows for every one registered investment advisor. A type show like we have it here with uh, MoneyWise on KKTX. There, th- there'll be five others. Uh, we know of at least two or three in the San Antonio market that do nothing but pitch equity and extra annuities, mm-hmm. and uh, we know for a fact in every large market in this state there is a radio show either running on Saturday or Sunday whose one and only basis of running that show is to promote equity-indexed annuities. And every show is just repetitive, 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 trying to drill in all their marketing techniques and some of the outrageous claims that they can make. And as we get further in this education, I'll explain why the salespeople of equity-indexed annuities can make such outrageous claims in their sales pitches. So what is an equity-indexed annuity? An EIA, for short, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. The return varies more than a fixed annuity, but not as much as a variable annuity. Now, I need to educate our listeners that 
equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete against CDs. Now, Jeff, throughout the history of, of the advent of CDs, are CDs known for being high rate of return givers? No. Earners? They're, they're, they're basically one step below government bonds in, okay. terms, of, in terms of safety. As a, I mean, in, in return. And in return. You know, CDs are back if you buy a CD at a commercial bank and it has FDIC insurance mm-hmm. and you buy the CD under the FDI insurance limits, then you are covered by the FDIC insurance program if, so, if that bank should fail. So, so with this in mind, knowing that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete with CDs, that should tell you right off the bat that your rate of return is going to be low, no matter what pitch the salesperson on the other end of the on the other side of the desk is giving you. Know in the back of your mind, these things were created to compete against CDs, and so you might be looking at a rate of return slightly higher. And when I say slight, I'm talking slightly higher than what you could get. And a fixed annuity. And as we get further into the education, I know we're bumping up on a commercial break, you'll see that with a rate of return that might slightly be a little bit higher than a CD or slightly a little bit higher than a fixed annuity of why you'd want to avoid these things like the plague when we really start to get into the guts of how these things are actually composed. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise.com at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our education about equity indexed annuities and why you should avoid these things like the black plague, um, just going into the basics of what exactly it is, an equity indexed annuity, again, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. Uh, And again, these things were created back in the late 90s to compete against the returns of CDs. So if you're thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, you can know right off the bat, no matter what pitch the salesman gives you, that your rate of return might be a little bit higher than that of a CD. But as we get further into this education, you will see how illiquid these things are and how horrible these products are. And we're doing our best to educate our listeners to avoid this so we We'll stop seeing prospective clients coming into our office having bought these horrendous products. Um, so let's get back to the EIA. Now, equity indexed annuities offer a minimum rate of return, a rate of interest, and an interest rate linked to a market index. Uh, now, what is the guaranteed minimum rate? Well, typically the guaranteed minimum rate is at least 87.5% of the original premium paid. Uh, and that interest rate is going to vary depending upon insurance company of about 1% to 3%. I mean, that'll be your minimum rate of return of 1% to 3%. Now, remember, if you surrender the equity indexed annuity early, you will have to pay a significant surrender charge 
and a 10% tax penalty, which will reduce or eliminate any returns. And I wanted to talk about that. If you're funding annuities, and this goes for equity indexed annuities, fixed annuities, variable annuities, if you're funding annuities with after-tax dollars and you're pre-59 and a half, if you take out any money from that annuity, whether it's a full surrender, if it's a 10% free withdrawal, when you receive those dollars, a portion of those dollars would be considered gains and taxed as ordinary income, and you would have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Now, the tax consequences of annuities are typically not disclosed by the salesperson. The salesperson only talks about how great the tax-deferred growth is, but they don't explain to you that when you pull money out of an annuity, how it's taxed, really the detrimental tax effects it has on the way coming out. And that's something that everyone needs to keep in mind. What we have found, Jeff and I and Dad, what we have found when salespeople are selling annuities, they sell based on half-truths. They only tell you half of the story. They only tell you the good part of the story. They never tell you the bad part of the story because if they told you the bad part of the story, you would never sign on the dotted line. You would never, ever in a million years buy any type of an annuity product if they gave you the full truth about these products. And that's what we're here doing today is giving you the full truth about these products to really educate you so you know going in that if this product is pitched to you or positioned to you, you will get up and walk away from the table. So how good is this quote-unquote guarantee? As Jeff and I said earlier, guarantee is only as good as the insurance company that wrote it. So it's not a guarantee. It's a promise. And when it comes to these quote-unquote promises, something else that an annuity salesperson will not tell you is that the state of Texas has a state insurance trust where basically that trust is in place in case an insurance company goes out of business. Well, in the state of Texas, the maximum amount of restitution you could receive back from this trust fund in the state of Texas if an insurance company that you had assets with went out of business is a quarter of a million dollars. So if you go and put a half a million, 600,000, a million dollars, whether it be a fixed annuity, equity indexed annuity, or variable annuity, and this insurance company goes belly up, the most you could receive back from the state of Texas would be a quarter of a million dollars. Something else a salesperson is not going to tell you when they're selling you this product. And I can tell you this, during the financial crisis, if we as taxpayers hadn't bailed out AIG with a $186 billion bridge loan to cover their books, the annuity business as we know it would be dead. Now, you don't ever see any stories about that. Nope. We, we talk about it. I mean, we talk about it, but, but the, the fact of the matter is this is, a, this is a secret part of the financial crisis that's never, ever discussed. That's right. And unfortunately, the salesmen that were pitching these products prior to the financial crisis really haven't changed their story. It's the same story. No, the financial crisis, Dad, actually gave them more fire for their sales pitch because annuities... Well, fear has got higher. Yeah, well, particularly equity-indexed annuities, they're sold based on fear. And really, annuities in general, but especially equity-indexed annuities, are sold based on fear. So the 2008 financial crisis has done nothing but bolster 
equity indexed annuity sales because they can prey, the salesman, yes, and I use the word, they can prey on your fear, on your uncomfortableness, and say, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I've got the product for you. All the upside of the S&P 500 with none of the downside. How could you go wrong? That is the sales pitch. That is a sales pitch, and it's a flat-out lie. And here's the, here is the the thing about that sales pitch. If you listen to it very carefully, and you hear that you'll hear, hear this on the radio shows that promote this product, all the upside, none of the downside. So it's a heads I win as an investor, and tails the insurance company loses. I want you. That doesn't exist. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How does an organization stay in business if the markets go goes up ten percent? Well, you get ten percent. And if, and if the market goes down ten percent, well, you get the guaranteed minimum rate of return, which might be one to three percent. So you you win either way. Think about that logically for a second. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And and here's something else. Here's something else that's thrown into the sales pitch. Mr. Ms. Klein, I'm not making a commission. Yeah, that's I don't make anything. I don't make anything on selling you this product. I'm doing this purely out of the goodness of my heart because I work for free. Right. That is another part they of don't, the sales they don't go, pitch. They don't go quite that far, but, but the oh really? <laughs> I, I, you, you may be <laughs> sorry. You, you may be making yeah, a little more dramatic. You may be making a little more dramatic. But there isn't a line item on this on the quarterly statement that comes to the to the client that says sales commission because the sales commissions are paid directly from the insurance company into the salesperson's pocket. Okay, so getting back to equity indexed annuities, so how are the equity indexed annuity interest rates compounded, the rate of return compounded? Well, again, the indexed, when they talk about index, typically a lot of them use the S&P 500 and the index-linked gains depends on the particular combination of indexing features that the EIA uses. Now, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about participation rate, meaning how much of the linked index are you going to be participating in. So the participation rate determines how much of that gain in the index will be credited to the annuity. For an example, an insurance company might set the participation rate at 80%, which means that the annuity would be credited with 80% of the gain experienced by the index. Now, that sounds good. So if the S&P is up 10%, then well, theoretically you'd say, okay, well, I want to get 8%. That's right. Or some, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about 100% participation. So you as the customer thinking, wow, I get 100% participation of the S&P 500 index, so I get all the upside, but then if it goes down and the market goes to zero or less than zero, I get the guaranteed minimum return. Man, what a great deal. I can't believe these products haven't been around forever. Why doesn't everyone own these? That's the good part. Let's actually get a little bit deeper and talk about what every equity indexed annuity has that's buried deep in their 100-plus page prospectus. They have what's called an interest rate cap. And what happens is equity indexed annuities put a cap on the upper limit of your return. And this cap is generally stated as a percentage. So let's say that this maximum rate of interest the annuity will earn, for example, you have a cap of, say, 4%. So the market goes up 10. The S&P goes up 
you're capped at four. That's the maximum amount of money that you can make. That's the maximum amount of credit that can be credited back to your account. And I'm oversimplifying this because I don't want to just bore our listeners to sleep, but there are very complicated, convoluted mathematical equations that are used to create the interest rate that's credited to the account. And I can assure you it's not to the benefit of the policyholder. It's to the benefit of the insurance company that's providing and created the indexed annuity. And here's another little kicker. Equity indexed annuity companies pitch the interest rate caps. They pitch the participation rates. But guess what? How long do you think that those rates are guaranteed in a typical equity indexed annuity contract? Short periods of time. Less than a year. One year. One year. One year less. Equity indexed annuities have the ability, and most of them do this, that I've done research on, to adjust those guaranteed interest rate caps and participation rates after the first year. They reset them, and they do not have to notify you of them. So what they do is they get you with the teaser rates, get you to sign on the dotted line, get you locked up into extremely long surrender penalty periods, and then 12 months later, the rug is pulled out from underneath you and your equity indexed annuity. We're going to come to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us on our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about how insurance companies that sell equity indexed annuities link interest rates or basically how your annuity is credited with a rate of return. We talked about the participation rates, how a lot of equity indexed annuities will pitch 100% participation in the linked index, which sounds great. But then you get down to the part of the contract where it talks about the rate of return caps that the equity indexed annuity uh, basically has in place to where they might cap you at a maximum of a 2% rate of return per month. So if the market was up 5% in one month, you might only get two. Um, But again, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, what I have found in my research is that equity indexed annuities give you a one-year teaser rate to get you to sign on that dotted line And then after 12 months of signing that contract, everything changes. Participation rate changes. Interest rate cap changes. And again, it's to the detriment of your account and to the betterment of the insurance company. And that is a sales pitch. That is a sales tactic. And I don't mean to steal any of your thunder, but there is is another teaser that draws clients in. Oh, thank you, Jeff, for bringing that up. That is the bonus that is given on the premium. And, and, and we use the word premium because an equity indexed annuity is not an investment vehicle. It is an insurance policy. And we'll talk about why that's important in just a little while. So when you're buying an annuity, the money you're putting into it is called a premium, just like if you were buying a life insurance policy. Uh, and so the one thing that we always say to, to anyone thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity 
Why would an insurance company, if this product is so good... All the upside, none, none of the, the downside. downside. Why would an insurance company need to motivate a buyer with a 10% or 15% upfront bonus? And I'm talking 10% of what you're investing. So if you're putting in $100,000 with a 10% bonus, they're going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Client, we're going to give you $110,000 of your original premium. So we're going to give you ten free thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars for free to buy this product. Now think about that. If this thing was as good as the salesman is making it out to be, why would they need to give you a bonus? It's all marketing. It's all marketing. That it's to get your sales juices going, so where you no, will so go inside and get out of line. Really get greed. I mean, how many how many right. investment products can you buy? I mean, if you were to buy a mutual fund. You go on the paper and, oh, here's this Vanguard fund. Well, if I buy this Vanguard fund, they're going to give me an extra 10%. If I put $100,000 into it, it's now going to be worth $110,000. Mm-hmm. You see any are your mutual funds offering any, any sort of teasers to get you in or individual stocks? Heck no. No. This is, the, this is one of the only products that I know of that, that in order to entice people to sign on the dotted line, they, they sweeten the pot with these bonuses but you must stay in that investment for the entire well there's different there's different investing yeah. schedules there's for different the investing, but, but i can you can bet your bottom dollar yeah. that you're going to have to stay in this investment for an extended period of time to ever actually see any benefit from that bonus and when i say extended period of time and we're talking 10 years or more yeah and we'll get to the surrender penalty penalty periods in just a second you know and again as i've i've said to anyone thinking about buying these if they have to entice you with free money if this thing is really that good as it's being presented they wouldn't have to give you anything well if they were really that good kyle why would we even need to be buying stocks and why would we need to be buying bonds exactly. why wouldn't you be buying mutual funds and why would all these other organizations in the united states that are selling uh, that are managing people's money. Why would why would we need to be spending all this time about trying to figure out what's going on in the market? So all we got to do is stick it in these equity index news. We're going to get all the upside and none of the downside and a bonus on top of it. And why would the majority of major insurance companies not offer this insurance product? And, and you and you bring up a good point uh, that of the twenty largest insurance companies in, in the country, that nineteen of them avoid it like the plague, and don't touch it with an 11-foot pole, let alone a 10-foot pole. And most equity-indexed annuity providers are smaller, lower-credit quality insurance companies primarily located in the Midwest. You'll see them in Iowa. You'll see them in Missouri. You'll see them in Kansas. You know, you don't see the MetLife's of the world. You don't see the Prudentials. You don't see um, the principles of the world getting involved in these types of products. New York Life, they don't sell these types. Now, they sell variable annuities, and we're not going to go there because we don't like those either, but uh, we're focusing primarily on the equity index annuities. And our listeners have probably heard us keep using the word product, product, product. Listeners have to understand, everyone has to understand, this is an insurance contract. This is not a security, which means that FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities and Exchange Commission do not police these products, which also means they do not police the words that are coming out of salesmen's mouths 
when they're selling these. It's up to every state board of insurance to police these. And I can tell you with past conversations I've personally had with the state board of insurance, I think they're really behind the curve. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Kyle, but haven't some of the major brokerage houses banned the sale of these types of investments? Well, in fact, FINRA, if you have a 7, Series 7, which is a license to sell financial security, stocks, bonds, options, what have you, um, they are really recommending you not sell these products. And that if you do want to sell these products, you have to go through quite a few hoops to even get the authority to sell them. FINRA would prefer any financial salesperson, typical stockbroker, to not sell these products. And in fact, there is an alert, an investor alert on the FINRA webpage. You can go to brokercheck.com or FINRA to actually read about the investor alerts on equity indexed annuities and how complex they are and how convoluted they are. And they're made that way and they're designed that way for a reason. So the salespeople that sell indexed annuities are not regulated by FINRA. They're not overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission. They only answer to the State Board of Insurance, which means that in their marketing pitches, they can make some absolutely outrageous claims. And when they turn out not to be true, they simply get a minor slap on their hand from the State Board of Insurance. And just to kind of, for some of our listeners that uh, were listening to us in 2005, 2006, we actually turned into the State Board of Insurance a particular radio show that was promoting equity indexed annuities. And uh, in one show, in one one hour, they had 26 noted violations in their sales practices and the sales pitches they were making. You know, continuing on EIAs, they carry extremely high fees and pay outrageous commissions to salespeople. In fact, I found a study conducted by two Ph.D. mathematicians for a firm called Securities Litigators where they have found that approximately 20% of premium paid into an equity indexed annuity goes directly into the pocket of the insurance company that created the EIA and to the sales force. And you keep saying EIA, equity, equity indexed, indexed annuities. annuities. So if you're given, so if you're buying an equity indexed annuity, putting a hundred thousand dollars into it, you can almost assure yourself that about twenty thousand dollars of that is going into the pocket of the salesperson and the insurance company that has created the product. And you might say, well, Kyle, I put in a hundred thousand dollars and I've got a hundred thousand dollars in my account. That is true. But guess what you do have? You have anywhere between 10 to 17 years of surrender penalty period. Yeah, you heard me right. 17 years. I'm reviewing accounts right now for a prospective client that has 17-year surrenders, which means that if you want to get out of this thing, you're going to be hit with a massive back-end sales charge to cover the huge amount of commissions paid to the salesperson that sold these things. Now, equity indexed annuities, again, because it's not an investment product, they can pay double-digit commissions to the people that sell them. Why do you think they're so popular for insurance agents? Why do you think they run radio shows all over the state, all over the country? Because they pay big commissions. That's right. Um and so we, you know, we talked about the surrender p- penalty period. You know, I've done a bunch of research on multiple 
equity indexed annuities. And what I have found running numbers back, and in fact, I've, I've seen some where numbers have been run back to 1950. I've seen numbers run back to 1962. And I can tell you that from the research I have done, you're looking at historical rates of return for some very popular equity indexed annuities that are out there right now being sold, returns ranging anywhere from one and a half to 2% annualized per year. This is where we go back to the statement that we made in the first segment of this educational portion of the program that said that these equity indexed annuities over the long term don't re- return just maybe slightly more than you you might receive in a CD That's or, right. or government bond in, in the current interest rate environment. That's right. So let's talk about their uh, the extremely poor liquidity that equity indexed annuities provide. Now, all annuities, all annuities provide a 10% free withdrawal, where you can take 10% of your money out without any kind of surrender penalties or what have you. But what happens if you lock up your retirement assets in an equity indexed annuity, variable annuity, fixed annuity, and God forbid you had an emergency and you need to get a hold of more than 10%? Well, in an equity indexed annuity, you could be hit with rear-end surrender charges 20% plus to get this money out. So there is an extremely poor liquidity and equity indexed annuities coming up to our last commercial break we're going to take the break when we come back i'll be wrapping up the equity indexed annuity education we'll do that after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management your money wise guys will be back after this welcome back you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management if you'd like to learn more about the money wise guys you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call on our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the break, I was talking about the lack of liquidity in equity indexed annuities and really annuities in general only allowing up to a 10% free withdrawal uh, anything above that particularly in equity indexed annuities you can be hit with substantial rear-end commissions or rear-end surrender charges as we call them or contingent deferred sales charges is another way uh, to describe them so again they have a real lack of liquidity now as I was talking about how extremely complicated these products are, you know, they're complicated to keep purchasers in the dark. So the salesperson can can continue to make outrageous claims and sell their perceived advantages to the purchaser, but because the product is so complex and you need to be a PhD in math and mathematics to figure them out. It, it, it makes it to where the purchaser doesn't have the ability to ask any questions because they were so complex and, op- and, opa- and opaque when it comes to, to how they actually are structured and how they work. And equity indexed annuity salespeople are really targeting the financially unsophisticated. Uh, because, again, once you sign on that dotted line and your 10-day or 15-day free look period is up, for the annuity, you're trapped. There's nothing else you can do. If you want out of this thing, you could possibly get hit with a 20-plus percent sales charge trying to get out of this thing. Uh, you know, and what 
again, doing my research earlier this week, I ran across an insurance company out of Iowa that in the state of California, there's currently a class action lawsuit against them where they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. Now, for those of y'all that don't know, the RICO Act was used to break up racketeering and basically organize crime back in the 70s and 80s. And the fact that an equity indexed annuity provider in this company in particular has over $21 billion of assets, they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. That's pretty That's pretty significant, I would say, wouldn't you say, Dad? Yes. That someone's getting accused, and actually I believe they've already lost, uh, and they're now having to pay a huge settlement. And, and really what the, the lawsuit stemmed from was the targeting of elderly people to buy equity-indexed annuities. And that's really where this California class action lawsuit is really aimed at this particular insurance company was because of their very deceptive and really predatory sales practices that they were using in equity indexed annuities. I mean, predatory to the point that Chris Hansen of Dateline NBC did a, what was it, like a one-hour or two-hour expose on the deceptive sales practices of equity indexed annuities. And he's known for the catch a predator. Well, this is to catch a financial predator. It was because his mother had been approached by uh, this... A salesperson. A salesperson. That's what got him into it. And and so somewhere out there on the Internet, and this was from a few years ago. Yeah, it was several years ago. This was ago. several years ago. And, again, any longtime listener to this program know that we are disdained for annuities of all shapes and forms, but equity-indexed annuities is what really gets me fired up because they are so worthless well, they're, they're the my blue opinion. bonnet plague of all yeah, products of all, of all that products. we've ever come across. And, and you know, we're doing our best to try to end the sales of these. But when you see these high commissions and because they're targeting unsophisticated investors, they get taken by these fantastic-sounding sales pitches and then realizing after they sign on that dotted line, whoops, I made a huge mistake, but it's going to cost me a fortune to get out of this thing and to fix my mistakes. We're trying to educate our listeners to avoid making the mistake in the first place. Has there been anyone in the last nine years since we've been doing this radio show that called our office that said that they had an annuity of some type and after getting a few questions answered and looking at a statement, realizing that they had an equity indexed annuity and then explaining to them that the markets did X and their particular investment did far less than X have we ever had anyone express their pleasure that they bought one of these years ago? No. In, in, in fact, the prospective client right now that I'm working on was just doing some analysis on their EIAs. Got an EIA that's had since around 2006. Since 2006, um, his performance return up 15%. Moderately allocated asset builder account at Davidson Capital Management, actively managed close to 90% after all fees after all fees and expenses that's a huge difference that's a huge difference when you annualize that number when you annualize that number out again they're making just above 
what a CD would return. But uh, I can almost assure you that the sales pitch being used was all of the upside, none of the downside. And I do know, and again, for education, this prospective client had told me that another big pitch to him was that annuities was the only way to shelter your assets from lawsuits. That is an absolute lie. There are a multitude of ways to shelter your assets from being sued and from liability. Being inside an IRA, inside of a 401K, inside any kind of retirement plan, that's a way to shelter annuities. You have family-limited partnerships. Yeah. The last person that anyone should be asking about how do I shelter my assets from potential lawsuits is an insurance salesman. Amen. Amen. If you if you need to talk to a lawyer mm-hmm. about shielding assets from particular that's or right. from from a lawsuit, that's the only person, in my opinion, that would be qualified to answer that question. You don't go ask your mechanic about a tax question. Yeah, that's right. You don't and, come and you, to, you, you, you don't come to us asking about a heart problem. That's right. You don't go to you your know. doctor to get your teeth cleaned. Right. So I mean, really, when it comes down to the end of the day, anyone that's listening to this program that has even had the fleeting thought of buying a product like this, do yourself a huge favor. Pick up the phone, give us a call at 906-0070, and take 15 to 20 minutes out of your life to get an education about how these things work. And that's of any any type of annuity. Of any type of annuity. And I can tell you that we've had some calls, I've had some calls in the past, Jeff, of people that had heard this education that we've done in the past on annuities and they have thanked us for making that mistake in buying these types of products and you know i wanted to to thank all of our listeners to to sticking with us in the second hour of this weekend's money wise program to get this education because we want to see the ending of the sales of these products because they are no good for 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 nobody i mean they're they're no good period and there should be no reason for these things to be bought. So if you want to get an education, you give us a call. And with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And for my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.